As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. College Football, the world's most ethical college football podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Paul, being joined momentarily by my fellow compatriots here. Please give us a second. We're all loading up. Been a long day, kind of, for all of us here. Um, you know, it's, it's Clay Helton Day, so that means a lot. Um, rest in peace to a king who, you know, just imposter syndrome, is, it's a real thing, and a lot of people suffer from it, however. Um, you, I think the Clay Heldon situation, really over the last six years, should let you know no job is too big for you. There's nothing you can't do once you look at the people hired to do things that you think are above you. And we've got our first co-host here, uh, top dog, the birthday boy, Andrew Stevens. Andrew, how's it going, fam? We are now existing in the fabled Banjo Birthday Corridor. How does it feel, KP? It feels great, man. You know, I, I can't really complain. Um, been really a, a lovely month so far. Um, got mine coming up in, I think, 10 days. I forget what my birthday is sometimes. Uh, but it looks, <laughs> looks like 10 days from now. Um, it'll be, you know, it'll be that time for me to be 27 and join that illustrious club that where nothing bad has ever happened to anyone ever i i just got out of it brother i'm on the other side and we're feeling good actually we're feeling probably a little bit worse but you know officially late (laughs) um i guess i i I really do think it's when it's when i've i've been told the body really starts breaking down like i've i i can kind of feel it a little bit now but i've been told these next five years are really when start to finish you you just completely lose it and so um i'm excited to see the other side of the hill yeah 28 to 33 really just that's kind of that's like sitcom it's like rom-com age you know like every rom-com that's ever been written is about people between 28 and 33 yeah um and i have recently been approached um by matthew mcconaughey he and i will be starring in brokeback mountain 2 um it's going to be even broker backs 
even broke her backs. Um, it's going to be a lovely story of the University of Texas defensive coordinator and a forbidden love between he and a recruit's father. And so um, it's going to be starring uh, or it's going to be airing um, exclusively on, well, uh, not exclusively, but uh, Tubi and what is the uh, now defunct 10 minute platform uh, that just died? Quibi, correct? It was Quibi? Quibi, correct. Yes, yes, yes. So so live uh, on both Tubi and Quibi. So uh, please tune in for Man, that. I, I can't wait. When, man, hell of a segue because, you know, I, I feel like five games really defined week two for us. I thought week two was going to be terrible. I was on regular saying as such. Uh, there were a couple of games that could have been good, but for the most part, I thought it was going to be a dud. Uh, I was quite wrong. Um there's a lot of games we can start with, but I kind of want to start with Arkansas, Texas for many, many reasons. But number one, man, just you talk about just a straight up ass kicking. Uh, Texas issues, that, that list is long. It's not like an LSU plug in a quarterback situation or like an old mess, like, hey, just recruit some linebackers thing. It's like they, they got whipped thoroughly on both lines um, by a bunch of two and three star recruits. Uh, <laughs> it's, it will take you know um some time jack for that for that team to do anything jack curtin in the comments uh did say he he did mention that we have missed a point here um it would be it it, it is a a true missed opportunity that um mine and matthew mcconaughey's love story isn't airing on the longhorn network um so live on quibi and the longhorn <laughs> network um Tubi has been bumped. Rippy, um, I'm sure that you have jumped in at the perfect time. Um, Matthew McConaughey and I are starring in um, a, a, a buddy cop thriller, uh, Brokeback Mountain 2, uh, about the defensive coordinator and the father of a recruit falling in love uh, based in a, in a Texas town. How'd you score that gig? Is that a late night HBO deal or is this family friendly? Uh, probably won't be family friendly, but um, they're going to need to uh, justify reasons to keep the Longhorn Network around, and so they're going to start allowing explicit content. Uh, no, I, I've seen that channel. I know how that works. Yeah, and explicit content that does that doesn't uh, doesn't include them losing to Kansas. <laughs> well, dude, best of luck with that. Congrats on the uh, the great audition. What'd you have to do? I don't think we can answer that on this. Um, um, on, on this particular program. Yeah, I'm going to need an NDA to discuss these things. Okay, um, so, so but you did hop in at the perfect time, Rippy. We are discussing um, University of Arkansas versus Texas this past weekend. To be honest, didn't watch a ton of it. Was it, like, completely locked in? Because Ole Miss was at the same time. It was definitely, like, the second TV setup. Classic downside to still having, like, your foot halfway in the industry to where I had to pay attention to Ole Miss playing Austin P. But... I just thought they got out coached on both sides. And I know that sounds like a general cliche, but I don't think Texas is that bad. And you could probably argue better from a talent perspective. But for all of Sam Pittman's flaws, he knows what he is. Kendall Browse is one of the best play callers in the country. And Barry Odom is a damn fine defensive coordinator. And they really just kind of pulled Texas's pants down. I didn't really think it was much more complicated than that. Because KJ Jefferson is a Batesville, Mississippi kid, their quarterback. There's a reason no one lost sleep when he left and went to Arkansas. Like, I, I don't hate him as a prospect, but he's not great. So I, I just thought that the, the from what I saw, the scheme and everything was a hell of a lot better than Texas's and Texas's quarterback. So.
Yeah, I'm not sure. From what I, I watched, pretty much this whole the entire second half. I didn't get a chance to watch a lot of the first half, but from what I saw, um, they just got whipped on both lines, as I said earlier. And it's really kind of you know obvious, like oh, like a lifetime offensive line coach is coaching Arkansas now, and this is year two of that, and that was very very evident. But Texas just got like they cannot get off the ball on either side, and it's just. I was saying, Andrew, you can't go to JUCO and find a quarterback like LSU did. Go in the, in the transfer portal like LSU did. You can't raid the transfer portal for linebackers like Ole Miss did to fix that problem. It's like fixing an O-line and a D-line at the same time, that's that's like a two- to three-year process minimum. Uh, and, yeah, it just, it's kind of astonishing Ooh. that Texas, as well as they recruit, um, just had that happen to them. KP, speaking of uh, two- to three-year processes at a minimum, what's going on with my favorite pal, Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech? Because I was told after two or three years that that was going to be all of the washout of the triple option that you needed. Well, I don't know if two to three years is enough. It it would be different if Paul Johnson was there for like three or four years, but Paul Johnson dug his – I mean, he dug in there like ticks for, you know – 11 football seasons that's a long long time and that takes it takes a while to just completely change the culture of a program like that that's in such an interesting city that has you know the death star in athens only an hour away that you know still has to play clemson every year inexplicably despite not being in the division with them um it's probably one of the harder jobs. And I think Tech Brass realizes that. Obviously, you know, the week one result was not encouraging. But, hey, they really took Kennesaw State to the woodshed. And they've had issues with Kennesaw State in the past. So, progress, I guess. Yeah, I think it's a it's a little bit of put up or shut up time, just because. I, 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 again, I think that you'll you'll probably get the leash there a little bit longer, but it's still not uh, in, in the discussion that was on Twitter today. What is the best job in college football? Um, I do feel like jobs like Georgia Tech are kind of overlooked in that. Uh, Real, you will you will really get paid to be mediocre. You will really get paid to beat Georgia once every four years and just remain relevant in the ACC. And I I think that that a lot of that was was missed in the Texas discussion and the Alabama discussion. Um, I don't think anyone wants to go there and be uh, hung by, uh, upside by their their little toes if they go ten and two. Um, and so I, I have to imagine that Jeff Collins is a place where he probably gets like five full seasons before um, before people start calling for him. If and that's if he he hasn't made a bowl game in in the first five years. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that you know in this era where the talent's more concentrated than it's ever been. It's like, yeah, the Georgia Tech job probably doesn't seem as difficult if Georgia and Clemson aren't, like, on either side of them squeezing them in. Um, <laughs> just, you know, two of the five best programs in the country for the last half decade are just basically, like, you know, doing a pincer move on them. It's probably, like, a slightly more attractive job. Like, Paul Johnson won, like, you know, eight-plus games a lot of the time. And it's like – but. Kirby wasn't at Georgia, and Dabo hadn't gotten in the gear yet. Um, but, yeah, best job is – it's a weird question. We could talk about that for hours, and I do think that's a good segment for a later show. Ross, how's it going, fam? I don't, I don't think Ross is on stage. Oh, I thought Ross was. He's, what the, 
What is he? What is he doing? Ross is. Ross, what are you Ross doing? Is you know what? Sh- Ross is in the shadow realm. There Ross he is. Ghost oh, hey, what's up, fam? Welcome back. I sent like six speaker requests, and it kept just saying failed. So I'm glad that you guys were able to invite me. Of course. Well, that was so, uh, we, we set that in actually. We we had enough. Ross, we had I'm enough glad you're here. I'm glad you're here because um, you know, as the only one of us who has lived in Columbus, Ohio, I want to know: Did you get? A, I know you're very busy on Saturday, but did you get a chance to look at that Ohio State Oregon game at all? And kind of what happened there? I saw a little bit of it. Yeah, it's um. And uh, Ohio State got a little bit uh, bullied around by a Pac-12 team, which does not often happen. Yeah, Mario Cristobal, uh, I would listen to anything that man says. Did you see their say- offensive line coach? Oh, my he's God. My oh, he, he's my height. He's little. <laughs> Yes, he is. That's a Which, great way to describe it. But other words, my height. Like that was an inspiration to us all. Can you imagine if I got to get go up every day and give like Laramie Tunsil the business or some shit? That would be the best job in the world because he can't hit me. Can you imagine? Rip, how I'm gonna well be honest. You trying is... to give Laramie Tunsil the business, he would absolutely. We were, no, no, not if I'm his coach. Not if he wants an NFL future. He couldn't give me the business. We were in a journalism class together. That guy loved Laramie to death. He didn't do shit. I say love him to death. I don't know him. But seemed like a swell guy, but was not invested. He didn't come there to play school. I'll put it that way. I was trying to teach somebody I worked with about uh, we ain't come here to play school, and they did not understand it. But it made me really happy because I said it in Columbus, Ohio, and my bartender laughed a lot. LaMelo Ball just had some some very, very good we ain't here to play school type quote. Hold on. I, I want to I try and find it. Um, I will you- say, Rip uh, – were you ever in like a small group with Laramie Tunsil? Like uh, this is something that I think about every now and then that I would imagine each of us, well, Andrew's, you know, taller than humans should be. But um, I feel like one of the things that we've all benefited from going to very large schools is that people have a hard time understanding like what professional athletes look like up close. And I feel like we got some of that in the college level. Like I will tell people, I tell people this story all the time and that like I was in a group project once at school with, uh, you know, future franchise tagged left tackle Cam Robinson. And I, you know, I won't speak to his participation in the group. He wasn't that bad. Um, he was fine. Like he helped a little bit, but, uh, there was a time when we were doing like a group project meeting in a, in a small room at the library, like a meeting room. I remember he walked in one day. The rest of us were all there. He was like five minutes late because there was some like practice or whatever. And the man filled the full doorway in a way I have never seen another human being do. And it scared the shit out of me the way the room literally darkened when he walked in. And I was like, that is not a regular sized person. And it's, it's kind of terrifying to like meet another person and realize that that is the same species as you. Because they're just bigger and stronger, and it's just kind of wild the like space they can fill up, and that's why it's so crazy looking at r- looking at like rippy sized offensive line coaches that they feel confident talking to offensive linemen like that at the D one level. Yeah, I could add. Like, they're just I, not. They're not human. I could add. Oh, well, I just thought of a third thing. A lot of thoughts there. Thought provoking. Uh, uh, 
that was thought for broken because three things immediately come to mind. One, I had the benefit while I was still working like full time as a reporter in the basketball settings that all the basketball press conferences were us seated and them standing or them sitting at a podium above us, which was always clutch because then you'd have the occasional like shoot around interview where Ole Miss had a guy like Anthony Perez, a real needler looking dude who's like 6'10 though. But I had to interview him for a one-on-one thing one time, and I was like, shit, if this guy gets a random boner, I might be down an eyeball. And, like, it just wasn't a great <laughs> visual either. So, like, yeah, it's one of those, this is his dick or his belly button type of, type of thing. So I've gotten, I've, gotten, uh, I've gotten pretty fortunate in that sense. But, yes, you're exactly right. The offensive linemen are just large humans that fill up space, like, unlike anything I've ever seen. I mean, you think, like, you, you know, like, okay, yeah, these guys are big. But even it's just, like, the safeties. Or, like, I, I guess, a, not to use another basketball example, but Ole Miss played in the NCAA tournament a couple of years ago in Columbia, South Carolina against Oklahoma. And that's one of the only times you get locker room access in college. And I went to the wrong end of the arena to Ole Miss's locker room. So I was sprinting down to the tunnel of whatever that arena is called, and I just run straight into somebody who's just barrel-chested. And I was like, Jesus, is this guy uh, – you know, is this guy a concrete wall? Like, who the fuck did I just run into? And I looked up, and it was Trey Young, who's, like, thought of as one of the smaller players in the NBA, and this man is just towering over me. So, like, they're just different breeds of citizens, I would say. Yeah, it's it, it's wild that, you know, the obviously the, the pro athlete to the college athlete is a different animal, but the college athlete to the average college student is just, you know, the – like the safety is just like a six one, one hundred eighty pound, you know, monster with like three percent body fat that can run forty yards in four point six seconds. It's like a, a regular person shouldn't be able to do that. So it's just a testament to like how hard they work and you know how naturally gifted they are that they just do that in their sleep. Um, some some of the craziest is uh, some of the craziest stuff is watching the uh, football players play basketball. Just because, like, as I mean, I played basketball at the rec center at Georgia a decent bit, and just watching guys go out there as a game that, like, most of them didn't even play in high school, but just like the ability to go out and like catching like six foot one guys catching easy alley-oops and like just like like very very easily being like the best athlete that you have ever played against even though that like the and the ones that can like shoot and have actual basketball talent you wonder it's like how on earth is this guy not a dual sport athlete right now it's like these are all like like these are all people that would have like started on 5a high school basketball teams they just didn't have the time the craziest it's, thing about that it, it's truly remarkable. Kavi, and this is something that I know was popping in your circles today as well. And I, I assume, Andrew, you saw this as, as well. Is that like people were talking again about how, you know, big and strong Alabama has been over the last like five years. And it's this conversation again of like, oh, you can't tell me that Alabama wouldn't compete with an NFL team or whatever it may be. And it's like when you go up, in an intramural basketball game or whomever it is or whatever it is against, you know, some football player from your high school or some freshman from your college football team. It's like the guys who are making you look like a literal, like puddle of goo aren't even getting on the field. Like these are guys, like if you, if it was in high school, they're not going to college, whatever it is. It is 
the difference in each level is so insane that it's fun to think about like these, these guys who make you look ridiculous are on the practice squad at Alabama or at Georgia or at Ole Miss or whatever it is. And it's like, Oh, there's just, there's just a different breed when they get to the next level. It's not comparable level to level. It's not even close. You know, no, Ross, I mean, that's what, a great uh, point. You go ahead, KP. I was going to tell Ross that's a great point he brought up that it's not comparable level to level, um, especially when you consider like FCS versus FBS. Uh, not that an FCS team would ever win on the road at an FBS team, um, especially not on a walk off where the where the FBS team play the cover one for really no good reason <laughs> against a very obvious hail mary situation. Wait, wait, wait Kevin, I, I don't know, Kevin, you, are you are you saying an an FBS team would play a cover one? In a Hail Mary situation against an FCS team, that doesn't make sense. I don't, I don't believe you. I'd like you to not well, bring your fairy tales to this podcast, guys. I, I, I just, I would be forever remiss if we didn't take this opportunity to speak also about. Are, are you, are you seeming to tell me that this happened in the state of Florida? Well, the state of Florida has the best talent in college football, or so I've been told. So I can't think of a reason anyone would do such a thing in the state of Florida. Well, I also can't. I can't imagine a, a perky upstart like a, a team like Georgia Southern uh, giving a, a team, or uh, God forbid, God forbid, talking about the state of Mississippi with a perky upstart like Jacksonville State. No, nothing like that could happen to to the mighty Blue Bloods in the ACC, could it? Well, I mean, the um, ACC, folks, as we I'm, know, I'm is nothing something. but Blue Bloods. So, I'm getting something right now that. Um, Wow, uh, buddy, I, I can't do the bit any longer. But, but I understand it's week two of year two. But Jesus, what the fuck is Meg Norvell doing, man? Like the- I, 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 w- I will say I was going along with the bit, but Andrew gave credit for Jacksonville State's upset to the state of Mississippi, which is wrong. They're in Alabama, so no, 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 no. no. I was saying that Jacksonville State had upset a team from the state of Mississippi prior. Oh, okay. oh, thank you. I, I yeah. was I was har- I was hearkening to the days of of uh, Jeremiah Masoli, and also hearkening back to the days of 2013, where um, Houston, that uh, era, right? Well, F- where FC FCS uh, Georgia uh, Southern beat Florida. Well, my um, thinking about but, 20, 20, there was also a a game. It was 2015 or 2016 when Jacksonville State played Auburn. That uh, it was like down to last like three or four minutes that Auburn won that game because I remember walking oh, yeah. over Denny Ross. being certain that Jacksonville State was going to win that game. That did go into overtime. Yeah, Auburn Auburn won in overtime. What year was this? Peyton Barber. I the, remember. Pey- Peyton Barber was the running back at Auburn. Can we name? Can, all right, I just want to see. Let's let's see what blast from the past that we have from this Auburn team. Peyton Barber, I just saw. Was he working I mean, that, for? Of course. Oh, Heisman, they had a Heisman front runner at at quarterback. Yeah, that was that was that was the first of Jeremy Johnson's two seasons where he got benched and then got the job back for the Iron Bowl. <laughs> number number <laughs> six years in a row. No. Oh my God! Yeah, number six Auburn at the time, uh, going to overtime versus Jacksonville State. Good for them. 
I'm was sure that the year that we like had a group chat 13. where we were counting down until Jeremy Johnson threw 25 interceptions? Did he throw that many? They let him. They, yeah, they, he had that long of a leash. There was no. there was a, definitely a year no, where we were like, changing the name of the group chat to count down how many more j- interceptions Jeremy Johnson would have to throw before he hit 25. He was on pace until they benched him that year. I don't know about on pace, but he was. We got down the, the name benched. of the group was like 17 more year. when they benched him. Oh no. Yeah, they beat they beat Louisville. Oh, this is what happened. They beat Louisville and then Jacksonville State and then Leonard Fournette ate their family. Do you Oh, re- is that the year that he, yeah. he just like demolished several he, Auburn DBs? Yeah, do you remember that one that it got a lot of good run in Georgia group chats? That that video of Trey Matthews getting thrown like a toddler off of him. It was yes, like when uh, it's like that video part of the Part we're of not the talking about it, that, KP. Um, you know, the prey and Jordan hair happened. Yeah, no, we're I, not, I'm KP. We're not. Ta- that, that cost we're us. Not that cost us the West. That cost us the West. We're not talking. I, re- I remember <laughs> the thing I remember about Leonard Fournette that year most specifically was that he was just like eating souls for breakfast every single game, and I remember talking to some friends who were like very big Alabama fans, um, but didn't watch the college football world as closely as I did. And I was like, you know, obviously I love Derrick Henry. He's he's great, but I was like. Leonard Fournette's, you know, amazing this year, which I still remain. He was amazing that year. And they were like, yeah, but when Alabama faces him, they're going to shut him down. And I was like, I mean, that's a nice thought, but probably not. And after the game, I remember so many friends came up to me and they were like, you, like after the Alabama LSU, and they're like, you dumbass, we shut down Leonard Fournette. Derrick Henry's going to win the Heisman. I was like, I'm also happy about that. Like, I, I also wanted this. I just... I just wasn't as sure about it as you guys because I didn't, I didn't believe. Like, uh, it was like I did, not that I didn't believe, but like I, I, I view the world not through crimson colored glasses. And still to this day, I will get yelled at, not yelled at, but like I will get mocked by some close friends who were like, "Remember that time you thought Leonard Fournette was going to be really good and win the Heisman?" I was like, "Yeah," and I stand by it. He was really good until that game. Yeah, he. Uh, that was really yeah. the beginning of the end for Les Miles, right there. It really was. Um, also, man, also just, still to this day, to this day, the most book cooking bullshit from the playoff committee to get that game into the ESPN hype machine. Do y'all remember okay. that? The that LSU Alabama game, they released they released the college football playoff rankings, and Alabama had no business being. It, it was either number four or number two, but they had no business being there, and they put them there so they could juice the hype for that game. Alabama, I think if you go back and look at it, Alabama, had a pretty good argument to be number four, and LSU was pretty clearly number two back then behind Ohio State. I don't think that book those books were cooked at all. I think that was a very very fair ranking. I mean, I Andrew, think, Andrew, you're saying that like you're not a true Jacob Coker believer. That I, I am in no that it, that was that game that that was very soon after they barely beat Tennessee because of the Jacob Coker uh, uh, throwing the the world's luckiest fade four times in a row. Buddy, I, I, Andrew, I'm going to speak for Alabama fans everywhere. When he was thrown to our Darius Stewart, none of those throws were lucky. Those throws were destined by God to to get there. <laughs> Uh-huh, uh-huh. He closed his eyes, he prayed, and he chucked. And that is in essence is the Cooper default. Cooper Bateman died. Cooper was for those throwing sins. a thirteen, buddy. 
Andrew, you will not talk bad about um, Copper Batman right now. <laughs> He died. He he was sacri- That that was that was the the prepay for those balls to be completed. All right. Well, so we, oh, just, man. just kind of tr- transitioning here. There, the Washington versus Michigan game. Uh, we could talk about that, but I don't know. Washington just doesn't seem to be it at all in the short term or long term. Um, it's year two and year one. Was people forget Jimmy Lake? But I don't know. We'll see. Do people not? Do people not remember Washington went like zero and twelve within the last ten years? Like this is not this is that not was like a program right before that, like, Jake. It was right before Sark. It was like Jake Locker era, I think. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, I mean this was like this was, a... yeah, and, and so like I don't think that I feel like people have uh, sort of missed uh, no uh, pun intended, I suppose, uh, missed the boat here, but um, on. Washington does not have to be good in football. I feel like Chris Peterson has made he, – he, he came in there, and I feel like people, since he left Boise for that job, viewed it as this uh, big-time upgrade. But th- that is not a, a job that I feel like – like th- that has the complete potential to bottom out in a way that people don't understand. I mean, they in 2008, they went 0-12. That is not that long ago. No, no. So it's the, what Sark and then – Chris Peterson kind of did back to back. It's just like that kind of doesn't happen over a ten year stretch at a place like yeah, Washington, much. But it did. No, yeah, that's much really more exception than the rule. Yep, uh, but and yeah, in Michigan, yeah, I I'm like, going to be honest. I'm not I did not watch a minute of Washington, Michigan. I'm not going to no, absolutely talk not. We're going to do this every year. To talk any of you, not going to talk any of you into Michigan beating Ohio State this year. I would never do that. That's irresponsible, um, and I would hold myself accountable for that if I. Attempted, but they have a pulse this year, and the Ohio State game could be kind of interesting for the first time in uh, five years. It seems like we'll see. Um, could be very, very wrong. It will not. I'm, I'm one of the believe. I, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of Ohio State overreaction, mostly just because like they've played, and I, I know that they have they have Dang built up. a name on winning a lot of these. Um, non-conference games but like they had a TCU game in 2018 that was pretty close like they've had a couple of non-con games that I, I feel like um who did they who did they play Oklahoma a couple of times did they no they lost to Oklahoma right because Baker uh, they lost the, to Oklahoma the in 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 27 it was kind of a they one did from lose one Oklahoma. thing they lost uh, in 2017 yeah. at home yeah and they rarely get they rarely so get I, one like this though no, I, I understand that, but I felt like there was this this large swing overreaction on just like Ryan Day is not it, yada yada yada. I mean, I'm still one to believe the like uh, the blue chip ratio is kind of what defines college football, and like they they have consistently been in the top three and four um, there, and so I, I don't think that this is some major referendum on the Ohio State program. I think it's much more like singular issue. Like they dropped. I, I, I would still be shocked if they don't win the, the Big Ten this year, to be honest. Yeah, it just kind of, they just got oh, pushed absolutely. around a little and, bit. And like, That's all the it people is. Who take- They're slightly worse defensively, which yeah. I think anyone who kept up with it, like if you kind of looked at Ohio State at all, that you, like, that's something you would thought might be an issue earlier in the year, and I think Oregon exposed that perfectly. Because, like, I mean, now, didn't Ohio State have over 600 yards of offense and lost? Like, they'll be fine. They're just kind of vulnerable defensively, and Oregon exposed it perfectly. Yeah, and there's also, like, it's hard to look at this game as a refer Like, it, sorry, if you were looking at this game as a referendum on Ryan Day and saying, like, he's not it or something, that's, that's stupid. You know, 
it is possible that I could be proven wrong. And in two years, he's had a lot of these games and it is correct that this was the start of something for Ryan Day. But like the man has done nothing to make us believe that he is not continuing this Ohio state train that they've been on for several years now. Like he is recruiting at as high or an, or a higher level than urban Meyer was. And they are achieving as much, if not more success than urban Meyer had, even though he hasn't won a title yet there. But like, there's nothing to say that this is slowing down, that this was part of a systemic problem or anything like that. I know it's early in the season, but like, Ohio State is still very good. Oregon may just also be very good. And to say that this game is some emblematic problem of, you know, Ohio State's falling apart and Ryan Day needs to be replaced right now is just stupid. It could be proven right later, but it's right now it's just, it's just ridiculous to say that. As much as I would love for that to be true, currently sitting in the city of Columbus, Ohio, I would love for them to all be sad because their, their football team is bad. But it's it's just it's just silly. I mean, it's also year four for Mario Cristobal, like a proven, you know, kind of. Uh, Stephen Godfrey used this phrase earlier that he, uh, one of the most impressive graduates of the Saban finishing school, um, and he basically had a very clear vision as to what he wanted to do at Oregon, um, and executed it pretty quickly. And, and he's built the lines. It's looking like SEC lines and. We just saw what SEC lines did to Ohio State in January, and it looks pretty similar to what Oregon kind of did to them too. So, um, again, like you said, Ross, I don't think this is a harbinger of things to come. I think Ohio State is probably going to go ten and two at worst this year, if not just one out um, and show up in Indianapolis at eleven and one like they've done so many times. But it's just cool to see Oregon go into Columbus and win. And just, it's just a thing we don't see every year in college football. It was fun and interesting. Yeah, I've I've found myself, and as much as I hate this, like a little bit rooting for the Pac-12 this year. Like not not strongly, but I'm I'm enjoying this this brief you know strength that they seem to be showing. I know I know I I told everyone you know I think I was the only one of the four of us that picked UCLA not only to cover but like to win that game against LSU, and I was right. And um, I was obviously I wasn't going to touch. Oregon, Ohio State with any sort of real stakes involved, but it's college football is a better sport when the Pac-12 is decent. It's it's just an objective fact. Like it's it's fun to make fun of them and it's fun to be like, "Haha, in the West Coast, they don't know what they're talking about because they have the Pac-12 network and Larry Scott sucks." But like it's a better sport when they're involved. So, I'm glad that they at least Oregon beating Ohio State, UCLA beating LSU. It's it, I'm glad that they're you know kicking at least a little. Couldn't agree more. Now you just need USC to have an adult run their program. But you're right in the sense that like it does kind of suck as a sport. Because remember last year when you had the whole like well the ACC, Big Twelve, and SEC are going to play, but the Big Ten and the Pac-12 aren't. It was really just oh shit the Big Ten isn't going to play. This will be weird. Like if it had just been the Pac-12 saying we're not going to play, I feel like. 90% of college football sphere has just been like, yeah, okay. It's like they play a different sport anyway. I mean, the Pac-12 kind of didn't play. Like, USC won the South, quote-unquote, at 5-0 and last year, right? Like, yeah, it wasn't a real... Like, Washington won the North but had COVID issues, so they just sent Oregon, and Oregon won the championship game. And they were like 4-4 four and four last year. 
Yeah, I, uh, I, I just don't, I, I don't foresee um, it, th- there being any major issue. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I, I think that the Pac-12 has to um, remain relevant through its traditional powers. Um, like, I think that they are going to be most relevant when USC and Oregon are relevant, but they still can make like. The Pac-12 would be fine, um, but if if someone like Utah came as the traditional power outside of there, I don't think that's going to resonate as much as one of these major brands, probably because one of these major brands is more likely for actual sustained success at any of these places. Um, but but I think that like not only does is college football better when the Pac-12 is better, but I think it needs like in order for it to hit that like relevance crescendo, it has to be one of their mainstays because that's going to be the only thing that actually commands national attention out well, there. Could not oh, agree sorry, more Andrew. for all the. Uh, I was just say for the, all the talk about like oh college football is, like needs Texas or is better when Texas is good. The real one that all college football like actually needs is USC. When USC is irrelevant it really just kind of cuts off west of the Rocky Mountains. Like, if there's an actual need for a program to be relevant for this sport, it is undoubtedly USC, is it not? No, it, it is. And I, I think about this a lot because I would love for another Pac-12 team to, you know, stand up and be relevant. You know, as much as we like to make fun of them, I would love for Stanford to be relevant nationally or Colorado or Utah or whomever. But the, the nature of college football is that you need to have a history of being good in order just to be taken seriously and get on TV. You know, as, as you know, we, I would imagine a lot of us tuned into Colorado nearly beating Texas A&M in mile high last week that, you know, no matter what that is, even though Colorado has had a history of being a very good program, you know, fifth down and all that stuff, like that is not a school that if they started six and zero, they're going to get a primetime game. They're still considered an anomaly, a weird school, whatever that may be. UCLA maybe has a little bit more credit, but like if Cal, which I know Rip has gone to, which is you know a, a wonderful school, there's a lot of interesting stuff there. If if Washington State, if Arizona State, whatever they may be, if they start six, seven, and zero, they're still considered a, a weird, you know, oh what a fluke, this will break soon. But if a school like UCLA, Oregon, Washington, a traditional power, specifically UCLA or USC most importantly if they start out strong it's considered a return to relevance it's considered a return of strength of where they're supposed to be and that will get a tv schedule it'll get eyeballs it'll get dollars and that is what brings that power back to the west coast which is i think is important for the sport long term it is it is important for the health of the sport which we all love and i think the longer the west coast looks bad it's not good for the sport you know going forward. I, I, I'm going to push back a little bit on those points. I don't think it has to be USC, uh, but USC is the only program that's proven that they can do it, right? Like, let's say Cristobal keeps us up at Oregon and they win something like, uh, I don't know, four of the next six Pac-12 titles and they make a championship game or two in the playoff um, and they are just a perennial top 10 team. Then, like, that's it. But, like, outside of, you know, probably the back half of the Bellotti era and the Chip Kelly era, Oregon just hasn't done that really historically. USC's done it. You know, I, I think Utah and Kyle Whittingham, I have no idea I how many think, years he's got left. He's been there forever, it seems like. But 
it, it it probably won't be them, but if it is them, I still think it'll work. I still think that relevance will come. It's just no one's done it except USC throughout history. Now, maybe it's, maybe it's a little different just because of how their fan base exists relative to the team, but that Stanford team did never feel nationally relevant under Harbaugh. I mean, they had a very, very good roster there for, for a couple of years, and I, I just didn't see them as – I mean, that was a roster like producing pro prospects. I mean, Fleener, Andrew Luck – who was the uh, Doug Baldwin? Like they had a lot of guys come out of there, but it still didn't feel like like the crescendo of the Chip Kelly era felt like it was sustainable if he wanted to stay there. Like it felt like the Pete Carroll era a little bit if he wanted to stay there. Like they made the national championship game in 2014. Like it, it was a school that felt inevitable on the West Coast just because of the how innovative their offense was, and and I, I recognize that other teams have sort of caught up in college football like that part of the the appeal there was they were so new in that like they're doing different uniforms every game and they have um that they're on the cutting edge with all of this nike stuff and they run this super fun offense that almost mirrors all of that and so like i get that they can't they're not going to be able to quote unquote like command market share if you will if if they come back onto the scene under Cristobal but I still do think that that is one of about the only two programs there that that really can I mean I I just don't I just don't see any other fan bases actually giving a shit UCLA maybe the Arizona schools like a little bit less but like I don't think Colorado has any chance Oregon State sure shit doesn't have any chance Washington State doesn't and I think we've even seen I mean this this Washington team made the playoff like the, the that they are a, as model of relevance as you would have wanted over a, almost a five-year span. And, and it was sort of like out with a fart in the wind. We opened the episode saying that shit, they can go 0 and 12 again and no one would really care. Like I, I just don't see anyone outside of those two schools really being able to have anything sustainable that is nationally relevant. So I think Stanford has a chance and I'm looking at Stanford like record now. Um, but it, it, David Shaw has to care, and he quite clearly doesn't, which is fine. Whatever. He's been at Stanford long enough, and he's going to retire upon a mountain of money. But here's Harbaugh's last year and David Shaw's first five years. Stanford went 12-1, and 11-2, 12-2, 11-3, 8-5 down year, and then 12-2. and two. It went to four BCS uh, – five BCS Bowls, actually – um, three of them Rose Bowls, two of them won. If you told me Stanford would win two Rose Bowls in a six-year period, I'd tell you to shoot me in the fucking face. Like, that's not <laughs> – like, they did that. And I think they were pretty relevant because that was – you basically went from Andrew Luck into kind of a weird year, but then right into Christian McCaffrey. Like, so there, you can attract but, that but, type of athlete to – you can attract that type of athlete to Stanford and you can get um, on TV and win Rose Bowls. I'm not even really talking about talent, though. I'm more talking about, like, national perception or, like, people giving a shit. Like, think about how many more people cared when USC just had a spark of relevance under, like, a 10-2 and Matt Barkley team or that, like, 2016 Sam Darnold team. Like, those were so much more relevant to the Pac-12 than literally almost, like, a- an entire decade of sustained success between Harbaugh and, and-, and Shaw. No, and it's it's the same thing. You know, obviously the NFL is a different beast, but like Chip Kelly had serious, sustained success at the University of Oregon. And they went to two national championship games under Chip Kelly. 
and it was still considered like a, you know, sort of a secondary program. Like it was a, you know, where is he going to go next? Is he going to go to the NFL? Is there something next for him? Where I know some of that talk, I remember like, you know, Nick Saban never been anywhere longer than five years. So after five years in Alabama, everyone's like, oh, he's going to go to Texas or whatever it is. But there are programs where people don't consider it to be the next step to anything else. You know, like when you're there, you're either retiring or you're yeah, getting in des- fired. In destination programs. And yeah. as good as Oregon has been over the last several years now, you know, Mark Helfrich didn't end, that era didn't end as well as people would like. And Willie Taggart was only there one year and whatever it may be, they're still growing. But I, I think it's, I think as much credit as they have earned over the last 20 years, they still don't have the same cachet that like USC does that people are saying, oh, James Franklin is going to leave what he's built at Penn State, which obviously last year was a down year, but he has a continued success at Penn State, which is considered a blue blood program that he can recruit to, he can get all the success out. They're like, oh, he'll obviously walk away from that for USC. And it's, I don't think Oregon has that same level. And I think that there is a lot to be said about the things that you can get done in this sport, not just the recruits or the money or the TV deals, but even just the respect from playoff committees and AP voters that have a long history because you don't get to be an AP voter unless you've been covering the school, uh, the sport for 10, 15 years. And an upstart program is going to seem like an upstart program to you. And they don't deserve your respect until they've like quote unquote earned it. And they have to be nine and zero before you even considered them, which is, I think is, frankly, it's bullshit. But like, I, I understand why, why someone may not consider even a very good school with a history of success to be the same level as something else because it's just not been there. The USC deal is tricky too because part of the like, I mean, there's an element nowadays with the money of what it is in college football. Like James Franklin, I think, would leave Penn State and what he's built. Like I think there is merit to that, but he would leave because honestly he's a little bit of a sociopath that kind of rubs his bosses the wrong way, and I think there's a shelf life to James Franklin no matter where he goes. Whereas if you have like a less abrasive personality that wins at a middle tier school, the money's so good in college football nowadays, unless it's a good job with the stable athletic department and a somewhat organized booster network, all you're signing up for at these Texases and these USC's is to get paid slightly more money to get fired in half a decade when you haven't won 12 games at a place that hasn't done it consistently in, you know, 40 years in the taste in the in the case of USC or the case of Texas, or it's happened once in 40 years. Like it's also like, there's become a balance of the expectations versus the money. And for the lack of a better phrase, the bullshit you have to deal with at these programs that are trying to quote unquote, come back. If that makes any sense at all. I mean, yeah, that definitely makes a ton of sense um, in that, yeah, it's, it's pretty much become like, oh, just kind of, you know, come here when you want. Come here when you're ready. We'll fire you in four years. And, yeah, we'll give you a healthy buyout. And then coach at some random G5 school and just kind of retire there. That's what these blue bloods are, which is weird. And I'm not sure that's great for the sport, but it's where we are. It's like the perception of the job versus – I saw this on this point made across the internet today. You know, for whatever you think about LSU, it is a hell of a job. You've had three different coaches win national titles there in the last two decades where, what, one guy has won consistently at Texas in the last 40 years? Like, what does that tell you about the two jobs? Yep. No, Texas is a – it's 
I think Spencer Hall had the best take on it. Texas politics is a very simple game. You know, you strap a bag of snakes to your face and you walk into a room with other people with the same bag of snakes strapped to their face. And you just kind of wait it out to see who's the last person standing. And it's very weird to operate a football program that way, but there they are. Um, <laughs> there they are. I mean, what? It's it, it, They've had a huge track record of success. What have they had? Seven total Big 12 titles? I mean, that you can't argue no, success. It's, it, it's, it's like three. Um, and they have one national title since immigration, uh, which is it's <laughs> the – the last all-white team to win a championship. Uh, you know, uh, he, them and Adolph Rupp. Good for them. <laughs> Good for them. Fellas, we ready for some picks? I think we're ready for some picks. I, I could be all ready right. for some picks. Um, who, who's, who's got their first one ready? I, I've got my first slam dunk. Um, I, I don't feel – I've never been more confident about a pick in my life. KP, I think we might have the, the same energy here. My, I got Oklahoma minus two against Nebraska. This is, <laughs> it's just, it's been a blood feud that's been slow cooking on two twenty five on Hickory for eleven years now, um, and everybody knows Nebraska tried to back out of this game very recently um, and were unsuccessful. This could hit minus twenty two in the first quarter. Uh, it's it's going to get ugly very, very quickly. Kevin, yeah, I was about to say, you, KP, you said minus two, and I was about to quit this podcast to go put my entire life savings oh, on no, this game. No, minus 22. Yeah, oh, minus 22. Okay, okay, oh, okay. Minus 22. I mean, okay. that's, the, that's the number I have as well, which yeah. I'm not nearly as confident about. It's minus two. Um, I, I am more confident than I am in Oklahoma minus 22. I am all in on Alabama minus 14 or 14 and a half, whatever you got it at. Um, that's going to be an absolute bloodbath. Oh, also, uh, I should remind you these, uh, these picks are presented by, uh, Norm McDonald, uh, rest in peace, Norm. Uh, as he said, gambling is a disease, but it's the only disease in which you can win a lot of money. Uh, so that's a piece of the goat. True. All right. Ross, what's your first pick? What a guy. Uh, my first pick is um, – here, let me pull up the line. I got Cincinnati minus four against Indiana. Um, I had a lot of positive feeling towards Indiana coming into this year, but so far that hasn't really been backed up. And I know the game is in Bloomington, but um, Cincinnati looks very good. And – uh, that is now now a power five team. So only getting four points against Indiana, that seems a little silly to me. Yeah, I, that was one of my picks as well. I got it at three and a half. And I'm going to stick to what I got it at. Um, to the man my word. But yeah, it just kind of seems like Cincinnati is just better than Indiana, which is weird to say about any G5 team against the competent P5 team. But yeah, they just seem straight up better than them. I just, I'd be kind of surprised if, you know, since he doesn't cover, if not, just went out right, you know, just went out right. But, yeah, that'll be a good one. My, um, I guess my next pick after that, I've got Clemson minus 28 and a half against Georgia Tech. Um, I think Dabo hates Jeff Collins, man. Um, <laughs> that score was 73 to 7 last year. And you guys know, even if you're playing super, super well, you have to want to score 70 points if you're just, like, annihilating a team like that. You know, 
Like, how many times has Nick Saban taken his foot off the gas when it was very clear that Bama could score 75 or 80 points? Uh, Dabo didn't do that last I, year, and I think that was intentional. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I just hate, I hate betting on Clemson because one of the uh, just Dabo trying to improve his uh, his reputation that precedes him um, from anyone with half a brain. He tries to play every single person on the fucking team, and so I'm just done betting Clemson in uh, games in which backups are going to play. Well, backers are playing, then it's a pretty safe bet that Clemson's going to cover, though. No, right? they didn't last week. I fucking bet them minus 49. Did not cover oh, last week. Clemson, I'm done with you. That's, that's the biggest spread against an FCS team. You got to take the Bama model. If it's a big spread like that against FCS, stay away from it. But if it's like 22 against an in-conference team, just go, go ahead and hammer it. <laughs> yeah, Georgia Tech do be bad. Uh, Ross, who you got next? Um, I got uh, a team that served me very well last week, which is uh, the University of Colorado Buffaloes. I think uh, they are going to cover two and a half points against Minnesota. Ooh, where is that game being played? Uh, in Colorado. Nice. In Boulder or Denver? I thought it was kind of BS they didn't play that a game in Boulder. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little silly they didn't play the Folsom, but, you know... Boulder and Denver are both pretty high up. And unless Minnesota is headed there literally today to start practicing, I have a hard time believing that team, which I was not, I have not been super impressed by the first two weeks, especially without Mo Ibrahim. Like, I know Colorado's favored by two and a half, but I still think they're going to win by more than that. Like, I, I wasn't sure AM was going to go in there and romp all over them. And I was pleasantly surprised that I was correct about that. So I think. Colorado might win by three or more in that game. Good observation, Ross. Um, Drew, my what's your next one? one? I, I am going Mel Tucker's own um, Michigan State Spartans uh, plus seven against Miami on the road. Uh, Miami has not impressed Ooh, me. Oh, that's a good bet. The Mi- Miami has not impressed me, and I, I think that – um, I think Mel Tucker might have something cooking there in East Lansing. Uh, they had a squeaker last week against uh, Miami had a squeaker against Appalachian state. Um, and I just do not think that that team is going to be good, which would, uh, this doesn't really say anything about Alabama, but it would, um, really live up to the Bama beats the shit out of a team that ends up not being all that good train. Um, uh, in the the beginning of the season, is this yes, a that is the uh, is this a snake draft? Am I going to get two here? Train. Yeah, you're, well, you'll take two here, Rippy. Also, because we're we're bad math <laughs> and uh, and and, and inclusion. <laughs> okay, bad at math <laughs> and inclusion. <laughs> I, I'm going to go uh, Auburn actually plus six against Penn State. I don't know how good Auburn is, but I know that, that they know exactly who they are, and I'm not sure Penn State knows who they are at this point in the season. And I think it's September games that can make a hell of a lot of difference. So I'll go Auburn plus six. I think that's a game that's decided by a field goal late. Interesting. And, okay, and uh, back, back around on the pick. snake draft, Rippy? Uh, the second one, I'll actually go Central Michigan plus 20 because I think this is a week, if that's a seven-point game in the fourth quarter, the LSU people just spontaneously combust. 
I don't even know. I don't know Dick about Central Michigan. I know that Jim McRain loves steroids. I'm going Central Michigan plus 20. Nice. That's a good pick. Yeah, it, it, it is. I don't. I probably won't watch a snap, but I, I just loved, I love I the, like pick, the idea right. of it more than I like the actual pick. Right. Well, that makes sense. Um, my next one, I've got Alabama, Florida, under 58 and a half. Um, it just seems like a ton of points for a game where I'm not sure Florida's offense is going to be able to do much. Uh, Florida's receivers have not been that impressive to me this year. I don't know. I don't think their passing game as a whole is going to really test Bama's defense whatsoever. Uh, no matter who's playing, whether it's Emory Jones or Anthony Richardson, both fine young men, I'm sure, but have really not shown much in throwing the ball. I know Anthony Richardson threw the ball three times, but he's thrown the ball six times in his career. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure that's going to be enough to you know win the biggest game of the year for you in terms of experience coming in. Um, so I, I don't think Florida hits 20. Kiki, and I, I, respect I don't think your ability to take. I was just going to say, what? I respect your ability to take that game. I, I cannot, I cannot in good honesty or in, in, you know, good faith, take a game that I care so much about. I'm choosing exclusively to pick games that I will not be emotionally invested in, but I respect your, your, your truth right there. I'm thinking like 31, 13, 34, 13, something along those lines. Definitely just, you know, Florida's not going to stand a chance, but it's not going to be, you know, Bryce Young sets the swamp on fire. It just. I'm thinking 49 0. That'd be nice. Well, that'd be nice. Uh, next, I am going uh, Cincinnati minus four against Indiana on the road. Um, might be some questions swirling about Luke Fickle's future employment, um, but I, I have not seen anything, especially in that Iowa game from Indiana, that would uh, uh, lead me to have any semblance of confidence. And I think, I mean, I think Cincinnati is a bona fide top 10 team. And so um, I think only four points there uh, should not be too crazy to cover. And 11 a.m. Both of those teams are born for 11 a.m. I love that pick because they're not going to – that's another thing with the whole Cincinnati deal. They're not letting their foot off the gas. Like, talk about between that and the Notre Dame game, that's that's win and style points. I love that one. Um, I'll go weird one. Memphis plus three and a half. I don't really need to explain my reasons. No cowbells in that stadium either. Rip, I'm with you. I got I got that at plus three. I, I'm not a believer in Leach. It's I think Memphis is going to cover that. I just show me that they can block anyone first. The credit to them last week, they pummeled you, uh, North Carolina State up and down the field, but I just don't really trust that offensive line. I don't think that whole style of offensive line play in particular works in the SEC. But uh, yeah, I, I would take Memphis's front seven over NC State. So yeah, give me uh, give me the uh, Tigers plus seven, or excuse me, plus three and a half. Plus. Oh yeah, yeah I got plus I got seven the Tigers money. plus three. Um, you know, a friend friend of the pod. Uh, Alec Lowers, a uh, big NC State guy, re- requested that I never believe in NC State that anything be- anything meaningful. So, uh, you know, we took Mississippi State last week, but I, I'm still not a believer in them. So I'm taking Memphis that week. And then uh, my next pick, actually, I got Andrew. You may you may hate this, but I got Georgia covering the 31 and a half they're currently getting against South Carolina. I think I think they're going to put uh, GA Zeba Dia Zeba Karaya this. Uh, Noland in the in the Phantom Zone, and I think they're gonna they're gonna 
destroy South Carolina over over 30 to one and a half. Yeah, um, if if I had any belief that the moment I bet on Georgia that the world wouldn't internally combust, uh, then I would agree with you on that pick. But I'm not I'm not publicly allowed oh, to would. comment on this game, much like Kirk Herbstreit <laughs> can, cannot pick games uh, that he's calling. So I'm going to just finish up here with mine, too. Mine are pretty easy. Number one, Arkansas State plus 17 at Washington. That one feels obvious. Uh, I'm not sure Washington has a pulse at all this year. And Arkansas State has really good Sun Belt talent and is probably, you know, probably feels better about this season at this point. Not saying they'll win, but 17 points is a lot for a talented team against a team that's clearly reeling. And last, I've got Georgia versus South Carolina over 48. I do think that they want to make a statement on offense. Um, I don't see a universe where South Carolina scores more than 10, but Georgia might hit 48 all by themselves this weekend. So I'll take Georgia. The Georgia over has been good to me so far this year because um, I've only taken it once when I should have or else. Um, so I'm going to ride that train for one more week see where it takes me. Thank you for that reminder, Kevin, that I took the Georgia Clemson over because I am the dumbest boy alive. I want to make that very clear um, for everyone. To finish my, Ross my, took the Georgia oh, Clemson up, over. I'm saying I want to make that very clear. Ross took the Georgia Clemson over. It was at 51 and a half. I really thought like 28, 24 was in play. <laughs> 13 <laughs> points, baby. Uh, I am. I will be closing it out um, with Arkansas. Um, minus 23. Uh, I think that I know we, we have the potential for a little bit of a letdown game here. Um, but Georgia Southern has looked like dog shit these past two weeks. I mean, they got boat raced by FAU last week and they barely beat Gardner Webb week one. Um, and so I think this is a game where you can kind of just sit on a team, um, especially the way that Arkansas has been running the ball. And then lastly, I am going to take BYU plus three and a half. Um, that is one where uh, I am, I'm not 100% confident, um, but BYU is probably at least after this week, we'll have played the toughest schedule in college football up to this point. I mean, uh, on the road against Arizona and then back-to-back against Utah and Arizona State. And so um, I I think they're the only team in college football with two – I don't know how you want to define legitimate, but quote-unquote legitimate wins. Um, And so I'm going to take BYU um, minus three-and-a-half at home against Arizona State. That's yeah, a solid pick, Andrew. I got I got two left. Um, so I'll, I'll I'll say I I am not a believer in what I saw. I did not watch Louisville versus Eastern Kentucky or Eastern whomever they played. Um, but I I was very disappointed in what they showed against Ole Miss. So I'm taking US, <laughs> UCF, the University of Central Florida minus seven against Louisville, and then my dumbest pick of the week that I will I'm sure live to regret is because uh, I have watched far too much of their football this year. I am taking Pitt minus 15 against Western Michigan. I am not sure that Pitt will score 15 points, but I do think their defense looks pretty good, and I haven't seen much out of Western Michigan this year. So I think Pitt's going to cover that lead, and that's going to be my six for the week. Oh, I got three, I think, left to screw up here. We're going to go... Nerd Bowl. I'm going to go Duke minus two and a half against Northwestern. Don't know shit about that, but whatever. Um, 
Let's see. Last, ooh, where do I want to go next? UVA plus nine against North Carolina. I've seen Phil Longo against the defense with a pulse. And Oklahoma State plus four against Boise State because I watched them opening week against UCF and was not impressed. I think there you have it. Those are the those are our, our six picks per banjo member, everyone. Good job, guys. This is a good episode this week. I, I, I had fun with y'all. Yeah, uh, and I, I think as we, we need to start saying as we close here, you just got banjoed, bitch. You just got, he's got banjoed, bitch. Uh, great time this week. Thank you all for listening. Um, this will go up Wednesday morning, but until then, have a great time, and we'll see you soon. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.